0: Welcome to the Blood Cancer Experience, a podcast by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. This podcast connects people affected by a blood cancer to resources that inform, support, educate, and empower. When it comes to cancer, it's hard to navigate the unknown, and there are no easy answers. We're here to bring you the information you need to help make sense of every step of the blood cancer experience. My name is Montana Skirka, and I will be your guest host for today's episode. I work in the community as a certified yoga and meditation teacher and integrative wellness educator with a focus on providing patients with a holistic approach to mental health and well being. I currently work with folks one on one and run self care circles for teens for their self esteem and chronic illness in Toronto. As a childhood cancer survivor, I am dedicated to helping others navigate their journey to health and wellness through coaching, mindful movement, and group facilitation. Today on the show, I am talking to Meredith Langell. Meredith is 26 years old and currently completing a Master's of Social Work. She grew up in New Brunswick and now lives in Ottawa to pursue her current studies. Meredith was diagnosed with stage 2 Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2015 and underwent six cycles of chemotherapy followed by radiation. After treatment, she redirected her interests from math and pure sciences degree and is hoping to pursue a career in hospital social work. Thank you so much, Meredith, for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. And So I would love to hear um, what your life was like at the time of diagnosis and yeah, personally, professionally, kind of where you were at and how you got that
1: news and how it affected you. So at the point of diagnosis, I was 18 years old, finishing up first year of undergrad university, kind of going through exam season. So the day I was diagnosed was right before a big physics exam. And I remember just being told, like, you're not writing that exam. Like, here is a doctor's note. Go to the registrar's office and, like, you're done. I was living at residence at the time also. And so I remember walking back into my residence and it was like quiet hours because it was during exam season. So to like facilitate studying and kind of walking into the lounge and just being like, oh, this is super eerie, kind of like felt like a a parallel universe because now I know school was ending and people were fin- going to be finishing exams and going off to their summer jobs and it was moving into a completely different phase of life. Wow,
0: that's so terrifying and such a you know, I just imagine being a resident, being so young and being away from, you know, your family in a new environment. And also I would imagine like that feeling of, yeah, like you're in a different reality, right? Because the day before you're in this reality where school and exams, that's the focus. And now all of a sudden your world is, is kind of turned upside down. What was your personal, you know, the theme of today is all about love and relationships. So we'll kind of integrate that throughout the story. Um, I'm curious to hear what your personal life was like at that time, your dating history, and maybe how, you know, once you got that news, how did that kind of change in that regards?
1: Yeah, so I had been dating um, this guy from high school. We had been together for almost a year by the time I was diagnosed. It was a pretty serious relationship. We were like best friends. We had the same friend group in university. We were in the same studies. And so that that was a huge support in my life and kind of moving into that. It was like, we are going through this and and um was never really like questioned or I never thought like, oh, is he going to break up with me or like, what is this going to look like? It was just like, oh, like we're taking this on together now. In retrospect, I have different thoughts about that, but in the moment it felt really secure and like I had that support. So that was really... Really important at the time
0: so you're in undergrad, you're pursuing your studies, and all of a sudden you get diagnosed with cancer. what did your you know what were the next few months like for you in terms of you know your treatment and your personal life? How were you kind of able to navigate after getting that news?
1: Yeah, so like I said, that first kind of diagnosis was in the middle of exam season, so school stopped. And then there was kind of that limbo period because that was like the initial, my family doctor had this like initial diagnosis of this is what I think it is. You're going to go get some scans done, had that done within a week, got scheduled for the biopsy surgery, had that done. So there was like, I think a month of like those types of procedures, just like confirming what it was, Um, having my PIC line put in, going through those like initial terrifying workshops of like this is what chemotherapy is and and traveling back and forth between my hometown and another hospital like an hour ish away where my oncologist was and then chemo started I think it was like about six weeks after that initial diagnosis point and then it was six cycles but each cycle had two rounds of chemo so 12 in total every two weeks going in to get that going in for blood work all the time of course after the first round was when they realized my like blood count was super low so had to go on like additional medication to make sure that they could keep me on schedule um and then radiation at the end which felt easy and retrospect. like after completing all the chemo radiation was kind of a piece of cake and was like oh this is this is easier to finish this off and then by the end, it was like nine months of treatment and like pretty intensive care. And then I was released back into the world. <laughs> and how did
0: you feel throughout all of this? You know, you've been able to kind of talk about it in this really articulate way of all the steps. And I'm really curious what your you know, emotions were at time of diagnosis when you're seeing all your peers and exams and your life, like you said, is completely turned upside down all throughout treatment, you know, what were the things going through your mind and how, what were your
1: coping techniques? Yeah. I mean, I think naturally I, I felt pretty devastated. And that sense of like, everyone tells you like life is on pause or your life is paused right now, or it's just on hold, like you'll get back to it soon. And feeling quite angry about that, of like not, not wanting it to be like a holding period because everyone else was still able to to go to school, to have their summer jobs, to hang out with friends and do the things that you do when you're 18, 19 years old. So that felt really hard to watch my friends and my peers carry on and and do the things you do at that age. I remember the night before one of my chemo treatments, it was my 19th birthday. And I was like, oh, this isn't what people do for their 19th birthday. like. Why do they get to do that and I don't? So that, that sense of kind of watching them carry on without me was really hard. I definitely
0: ha- resonate with that. I think that's a really common thing with especially like people our age and younger, you know, young folks dealing with this. It's a It's a certain amount of of pressure to, you know, we, we know how important and precious, precious youth is, right? And we have this idea of what university is going to look like, what our 20s are going to look like. And like you said, you know, nobody expects their 19th birthday to be on chemotherapy getting cancer treatment and there's such a feeling I can really echo and, and f- resonate with that feeling of injustice of anger I, I really am glad that you named that because I think sometimes anger can be kind of suppressed and we don't even recognize that it's anger and but yeah anger it's so unfair and it's so frustrating and it's so isolating I would love to hear if you felt isolated so and in particular with with in your relationship so Like you said, you and your partner kind of decided without even thinking about it, of course we're going to kind of navigate this together. I'm assuming he's kind of able to live his own life and do all of the things and you're not – what was that dynamic like with him, with friends, with family? I know particularly at university, like that was so tough for me too. Just really being frustrated at all the fun that my friends were having and also freaked out at like the academic – markers that they seem to be achieving all of that stuff can get really really difficult to navigate so I'm
1: curious to hear a little more of that yeah for sure I would say kind of the first part on like feeling isolated definitely that feeling of like especially because your like immune system is weakened of that like distance you have to create just to like protect yourself so that was like a layer of that isolation that is like very visible in like I can't hug you right now or like we need to sanitize your cell phone when you walk in the door or like you kind of need to sit farther away from me so and I'm like a very physical and like close with my friends so like that was like one layer of it and then the next layer of like I'm home all day because I don't have a job I'm not in school and I'm just kind of hanging around waiting for the next doctor's appointment while my friends are having jobs going to school. Doing the things you do at that age to kind of like start your life or adult life. So that like very distinct difference in like what part of life we are at all of a sudden, where like it was very aligned and then it was very like misaligned. With my partner at the time, he was like still working and going to school, but would be coming over every day and it still felt like very normal between us. Um, but there was this interesting thing that happened, which we became this, like, idolized couple in our friend group and to some people that we knew where it was like, oh, my gosh, like, they, they're they the couple that are, like, going to get married and, like, they can go through this hard thing and look how inspiring this is. And that was It didn't feel isolating at the time, but it kind of, like, set us apart from other couples our age and, like, at that stage in life of, like, what it means to figure someone else out and, like, be with someone. Wow, that's so interesting. And it makes a lot
0: of sense because... You know, it makes a lot of sense that your friends are going to kind of look at that and and be in awe of it. But then it makes sense that that would be so isolating because you're like, we're just two kids (laughs) trying to figure this out. We want to, again, feel normal and feel the same as everyone else. And I would imagine that's a lot of pressure to put on two, you know, teens, really Mm -hmm. young folks, like, you know, who are just trying to kind of date and have a normal life. And I think it's also, yeah, it's as soon as you're you're – slap with that cancer label that you're kind of are set apart and you are idolized and that always frustrated me too because I'm like what else am I supposed to do <laughs> you know what I mean like so it's a strange it's a strange thing and also you people don't want to be pitied right and I think there's like an element of pity that comes along with it maybe Pedestooling, yeah the, people think it's a nice thing to do but it it sets you apart from other people and it doesn't necessarily feel warranted it's not based on your accomplishments, right? It's based on this foreign toxic thing killing your body. So, it's a strange thing to kind of be applauded for. And I'm sure he felt a lot of weird pressure about that as well. So, yeah, that that makes a lot of a lot of sense and also the at the beginning when you're talking about your friends and how you felt physically di- distant from them. I mean, of course, that just made me think about COVID and how the world kind of had to experience that level of of isolation that so many people who are sick have experienced before. And it just – I think once COVID hit and everyone experienced it, everyone was like, this is really hard. It was almost the first time that I was able to acknowledge, oh, yeah, that was really hard for me, those times of isolation. You know? I wasn't making a big deal about nothing – I was experiencing depression and mental health issues for a very good reason. You know, all of these things are so important. And now we really understand that physical touch and closeness and being so afraid that someone's going to affect you or they're, you know, you being afraid, they being afraid. It creates such a big disconnect between humans. And I don't know. I mean, we we see that now with the the pandemic. We don't even know the ramifications of that. So it's interesting that you kind of experienced that a little bit before before the world did
1: yeah and I remember feeling that when COVID started it was like oh this is kind of familiar and weird and and my friends commenting on it and it's like yeah it is it is difficult and this is this is kind of what it felt like yeah and just kind of going back to what you said about kind of that unwarranted or like what feels like it doesn't you don't deserve that attention or that like idolization is I remember always feeling upset or like kind of icky when people called me brave or like I was amazing or like inspiring and that what you said really struck me is is that I always felt like well I'm not choosing this like I didn't decide to do this this is just happening to me and other people are telling me what to do and I'm just following along that idea of like it really felt like I was just like I had to surrender and just like do what I was told to do and for some reason that like that gains all that like glorification of what you 're doing, but it doesn't it doesn 't really match up with like what the reality feels like
0: right, and it doesn 't always feel i mean again, especially when I look back now, I realize that you know a lot of anger and frustration that I had around people, friends at the time that it didn 't necessarily feel like were there for me, or you know issues that I had around that. I now recognize okay, wait, like we were all really young. And nobody really knew again how to navigate this, and you know, there's a level of maturity that develops over time, and for me as well to to recognize that, right, to recognize the limitations, and to for, you know have those difficult conversations, and to kind of like repair a lot of friendships that I kind of just let go of because I was just, I felt so alone, you know. But I think it's it's like this important distinction between pity and empathy. And empathy is really trying to understand the experience versus just kind of slapping this idea of like, you're brave. It's like, thank Mm -hmm. you, but if you actually understood the way that I felt in this moment, maybe I don't feel brave or maybe I feel really afraid. And maybe if you say that I'm brave, then I can't really express my fear, right? Um, If you say that me and my, my partner are this inspirational couple, then we can't talk about the hard things that we're potentially going through and... You know, we can't it's, it's I don't know, it's a, it's a really heavy thing to have to hold, right? To be like this inspirational figure. It's kind of dehumanizing in a
1: weird way actually.
0: I, not like they're no one's intending for that, right? But it can it can
1: be. Yeah, totally. And that idea that like if there were things that we were struggling with, like my partner and I in like it almost created this illusion that like The Like, everything was fine. Like, we were good. He was good. He was supporting me. We were getting through it. And there was no space to explore, like, what's actually not working? Like, how does my hair falling out and my body change, like, affect our, like, young relationship and, like, exploring intimacy together? And, like, how... Like, the mess of that at that age with, like, the layer of cancer and then the layer of being, like, you're an amazing couple. Like, you're going to be together forever because if you can go through this, like, you can handle everything. And so just, like, yeah, like, not having the space to explore, like, what actually isn't working right now and what needs what needs attention. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that
0: up. You know, the side effects of treatment are not fun, Mm -hmm. and they have a lot of physical effects, and that's really difficult. I think it's particularly difficult when you're a young woman because of the pressure that society places on us. I'm curious how you felt about those things, and if they did affect you, I mean, of course they did, and in what ways they affected you. Because I know for me, like that was really, really difficult to navigate. And I was very, very late to the dating game. And I i don't know if I ever really understood that the health challenges were part of that. You know, I just thought, oh, I'm insecure. and But I had a lot of shame around my body. I had a lot of fear around my body. Like, you know, all of the things that and, – and I think I, I kind of interpreted it as I'm not good enough or I'm not pretty enough or I'm not skinny enough – when when i again in the, the benefit of foresight and of maturity and of kind of understanding these things from a more adult perspective it's like no you were just really insecure and shy and embarrassed because you'd always been this cancer patient or at least that's how i felt that was another thing this like weird identity because again if you're this brave cancer patient like that's not you know that's a very different identity than just being one of the peers that maybe likes a boy or wants, you know, just the regular stuff. (laughs) So, and I think the parents of, of a lot of the kids put that on me. It was just a weird, and the teachers kind of favored me because they felt bad for me. Like, it just set up a lot of weird dynamics that didn't necessarily make me feel always like just part of the group. So... Yeah, I mean I, I think that my, I just had a lot of insecurity because of the cancer treatment and because of, of the way that things played out and then I kind of thought, oh, I'm, you know, I blamed it on myself and my weight and I had a lot of, of issues around eating and food and insecurities kind of throughout my teens and 20s, a big part of that because of, of the cancer. So I'm curious how that affected, I guess, your perception of yourself and beauty and appearance and confidence.
1: Yeah, I resonate a lot with that, like, not feeling good enough, and then how much the physical changes affect, like, how you relate to your body, and, um, you know, everyone always talks about, like, that transition of losing your hair. Like, that is awful, and there's, like, that is such a huge impact on your identity and how you see yourself as, like, or how I saw myself as a young woman, and... Hair was something that people always, like, noticed about me and that my partner loved about me. And and so that was a huge shift of just, like, oh, if I don't have this hair, like, who am I? Like, that was my femininity, gone as a young woman. And then, you know, the other drugs changing, like, where you carry weight in your body and how your face looks and all of these things that, like, in the brief moments of like, oh, I actually feel okay today because I haven't had to do chemo. And like you're maybe on like the other side of it, like feeling more like yourself. But then you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, but like this is the reality of my body right now. And that that makes it really hard to, to like almost believe that that person still like desires you or is like interested in being with you. Especially at a young age where... Like you said, you're looking around and, like, other people are prettier or, like, you feel, like, less than because you're, like, well, other people, like, look like this and this is what I look like right now. And, and yeah, just, like, the, the impact that has on, like, especially how, how I related to my partner just because of how, like, my sense of self was changing and I didn't feel good in my body. And I think that's a really important thing to to point out
0: because oftentimes when we think about, oh, is someone supporting me or not supporting me, you know, it's not always so black and white, right? If we don't feel good about ourselves or comfortable with ourselves, there's no amount of support that someone else can give us that will feed that insecurity, particularly in romantic relationships where, you know, if we don't feel beautiful and attractive, that's just going to be a block between us and our partner. And it's not about blame. It's just about kind of recognizing that, right? Like people think, oh, you're either a good partner or a bad partner. You're either going to be someone who sticks with them or not. But it's like there's a lot of, again, other dynamics at play. And so much of it comes to our own sense of self. And when that's damaged – you know first of all when you're going through cancer treatment it's kind of just like get getting through it and then hopefully you have the time and space after to actually reckon with these questions around our sense of self and identity and all of that stuff that allow us to be better partners i think that's again part of why it took me so long to be able to date and i was so embarrassed about that but It makes sense. I had a lot to kind of figure out about myself before I kind of put myself out there. And what I recognize now is the more confident and secure I become, the better fit I find as a partner, right? So yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I'm also curious because you were 19 when you were diagnosed and now you're 26. So there was social media throughout this time. I'm really interested to hear... About I you know I was reflecting on this recently, and I was like, if there was like Instagram when I was going through chemo, I, I just it's it adds such another level of difficulty, of comparison, of insecurity. So I'm curious about your relationship with social media during during this time and up to today.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point because I remember at the beginning there was a kind of an influx in people requesting to follow me of people from like my childhood or like my hometown that I wasn't close with and I kind of had like a I was more like restrictive I've always been kind of restrictive of like who I have on social media and so I remember feeling really offended I've kind of like now what I understood I've kind of heard in the community is like grief tourists. And, like, people just coming in to, like, feeling like people wanted to come in and just, like, observe this because it was, like, novel. So I remember feeling quite, like, disturbed and upset about that. And then how much more time I was spending on social media because I wasn't in school and I wasn't working. And so that really amplified that, like, isolation because I was watching what everyone else was doing. And then trying to curate what my life looked like of, like... Oh, I went out for a coffee date with my friends, like that like I'm having a normal life. Like here is a photo of that. Or like I'm like curating those those photos of trying to create like a seemingly normal life. Um and part of that being helpful of like re- like documenting that for myself and like having some photos where I felt good in myself, like good in my body and like I recognized myself. But then also getting frustrated with that when I didn't feel good in myself and feeling like people think it looks a certain way because that's how I'm presenting it. But that's not the reality. And this is so much worse. And wrestling with that was difficult. Like feeling like I wanted to post the worst moments just so people would know. But also not doing that because I don't know. Yeah, it's just such an immense amount
0: of pressure that we all put ourselves under to accurately represent our life as it's happening, whether in a positive light or whatever light we're trying to kind of, you know, because essentially we're all branding ourselves in this way too, right? And so it's this weird thing about trying to accurately represent yourself and get your life across in a way that's 2D, <laughs> that we'll never get across, Um and, and it's it's a, such a strange thing and it, particularly when you're going through a cancer treatment. I mean, I've never heard of the term grief tourism and that's really interesting to me because, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and work with a lot of people and some people, you know, want to, to express all of the negative things that are happening and that gives them peace and closure and... But I also have struggled with this as someone who's really outspoken and who really has always wanted people to kind of understand. I think it comes from a place, again, of isolation and being like, okay, I'm going through this weird thing that no one else really seems to be going through, which again is why connecting with with other people is, is such a healing exercise for me. It's so fun for me to talk to you. But, you know, when I was younger, I didn't have that. So... I've always been someone who's like, okay, how do I explain this? How do I articulate my experience? How do I make people understand? But then it attracts this weird amount of pity or like the grief tourist where you're like, okay, I'm getting something, but it doesn't really feel like it's feeding me. But yeah, grief tourism is such a beautiful way to describe it. It's not like everyone is like that, but there are people who are kind of just attracted to the negative and it it doesn't feel like it's an empathetic exchange it feels like it's just kind of an entertainment or something which I know after sometimes me being public about certain things I would actually feel pretty weird and icky after because I didn't know if the attention I was getting or you know were were what I I desired at the end of the day I kind of have have had to come to terms with the fact that like no one will quite understand what I've been through and that's okay, you know, and we can find support with like-minded people who've gone through similar things. But even within that, we've all gone through different things, right? And so, yeah, I can just really resonate with that feeling of, wait, I want to show people that I'm normal. Wait, I want to show people that this is real and kind of just that struggle on top of just trying to get through your everyday life.
1: Yeah, totally. And I also, like, within that, like, That feeling of, like, when you are more blunt or you're, like, showing the realness or I would post about, like, the anniversary of different things happening along, like, my cancer journey or, like, different points that did feel, like, more vulnerable to share of, like, losing my hair or whatever that was. That feeling afterwards of, like, oh, are, like, are people perceiving this the right way? Like, how is this how is this landing for people and like not knowing if it was like is it too much is it too little is it like kind of going back to that insecurity of like never feeling like it lands quite right or you know how to present that and and how challenging that was especially like post treatment of like do i like how do i identify and how closely do i identify with like the survivorship community and like when do I tell new people in my life that I'm a cancer survivor? Or like, how do I even, what language do I want to use? And, and how closely is that related to like, who I am versus like something I've been through that informs who I am? That was really tricky going forward.
0: Absolutely. I think that, you know, posing these questions to yourself, ultimately we all come to very, you know, potentially different answers, but having those conversations. I think that kind of takes the power back, right? How am I going to identify? How am I going to share this story versus how are other, you know, how are other people going to perceive me? It's like it has to come to the point I think for our own sanity and well-being where we say this is who I am. This is how I'm going to represent myself and that makes me feel good. And then everyone else gets to have their own perception of me because To try and control, as I can tell you from personal experience, trying to control people's perceptions is, it's just never going to (laughs) work. And then I had a therapist once that was like, you know... Basically, uh, she had such a beautiful way of putting it, but essentially it was nobody is ever thinking about you anyway. (laughs) Like Nobody cares, which is kind of sad, but it's also a little bit empowering, too, of like, we're spending so much time worrying about other people's perceptions, but we're just a photo and then they just scroll by and that's the end. Besides our very close people... um, and that's kind of nice because it just allows us to be ourselves and people who like us are attracted and other people aren't. And it's certainly not because of our cancer experience, although that can certainly inform us and strengthen us and provide a lot of, I think, positive qualities in our in our own kind of resilience. So, yeah. Totally. So I'm... Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I, sorry, I was just going to add to that of like, I agree so much to that part of like once you or once I was able to realize that like no one really cares if I'm identifying as this right now or that changes in three months or I'm like really unspoken about this thing. And then I don't share a little bit. It's like, like you said, the people really close to you that love you care and might ask or like want to know more. But the folks that are just following you that kind of know you peripherally or like distant friends it's like yeah they see your photo and they're like oh cool or they have no reaction and then they keep going and like kind of coming back to like what's gonna like meet my needs right now of like do I need to feel like I need to to share this with my circle right now and that's gonna make me feel good okay then I'm gonna do it I love that so getting back to the romantic side of things hmm
0: so last time you left us off in the story <laughs> of that thread, you were kind of struggling with this feeling of, okay, wait, we have to present as this perfect couple, or that's how people perceive us. This there was just it sounds like a lot of pressure. So I'm I'm curious to hear kind of what transpired after that.
1: Yeah. So on the social side, like there was all that pressure and Kind of like on that pedestal, like oh, you are like the couple right now, and and that felt very secure and very supportive in the time. I was like, yes, I have this amazing partner. I feel so secure. I almost felt like validated in like it's now like socially acceptable to say that I want to marry this man at like a young age. Like I was like, I can say that, and older people can't question it because look at what we're doing. So that part felt really good. And then there was the other part of it where my healthcare team was not asking or like even acknowledging like that part of my experience so i think that really played into the the messiness of like figuring that out together as just like two kids where you know all of all of the side effects that does kind of like move over into that like physical intimate part of a relationship that i wasn't having a clear understanding of because my healthcare team wasn't communicating it or like wasn't fully explaining it to me because of my age, because of I'm not entirely sure why. But that part was really, really challenging. And then after we were done with treatment, um, all of the late mental health effects and kind of the turmoil afterwards of Me coming to terms with how much this affected me emotionally and him coming to terms with how much this affected him emotionally. And, and yeah, I mean, ultimately, a few years later, we ended our relationship kind of after a lot of back and forth, I would say, of like trying to figure out who we were as people, like who were we together, who were we as individuals and like navigating these mental health issues without much support because we didn't even know why we were having them. Like there was no, there was like a very clear lack of support for both of us from that time.
0: I think a theme throughout probably all of the podcasts that we've recorded for this series has been the mental health effects that kind of tend to pop up after and that not being recognized or really talked about in addition to i mean you're asking why was this stuff not addressed i think our healthcare team healthcare teams would be pretty honest in saying it's no it's typically not their focus you know, and I think that's why I'm so adamant about pushing for just a more integrative system and I'm really excited about people like you, you know, you're now pursuing a degree in hospital social work and you understand from personal experience, okay, how does this feel and maybe what folks actually need, right? So I think it's really going to come through that but up to this point, um, there's just been a little bit of a lack of emotional and relational support in the cancer journey and a lack of recognition that this affects more than our blood cells potentially, right? And I think that that's that's changing and that's what this podcast is for and that's what the resources at Leukemia and Lymphoma Society are for and the peer mentorship. But I think it's a really important thing to point out and to acknowledge, right, that survivorship is its own huge thing. And all these things will pop up and we have to kind of process them at, at our own time and in our own way. So I I think, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. I'm curious what your life is like now and in terms of dating. And also, I'm I'm interested to hear about that career shift for you and how that came to be and kind of give us an update on what your life looks like right now.
1: Yeah. So just to speak briefly on that part of like, moving into social work and kind of my interest in in healthcare because I feel like at least from my experience and then from like my research being in school where I like kind of zero in on these topics is like there needs to be so much more like validation for the experience and how it affects like all parts of people and their relationships and that a relationship even though we are 18 years old and had only been together one year like he shouldn't be out of the picture just because he isn't my husband because it affected him so greatly and so the fact that like my healthcare team at least didn't totally recognize him as like part of the team but like having a larger picture of like how do you define like who someone's like support system is and like understanding that like pleasure should never be taken out of someone's life like even if you're on like life-saving treatment that like Pleasure is still important and should be sought after and supported and encouraged. And, and yeah, that focus on, like, the experience throughout it with your mental health and all those changes, but especially afterwards. Like, for me, that that transition point out of care is really interesting to me in terms of, like, what I might want to do in my practice moving forward with social work is, like, how do we support people better there? How do we like make sure that you don't go from having, like, multiple appointments a week for months or years to see you in three months? It's like, what do I do now? I <laughs> can't just sit around and wait. And that's when, at least for me, like all of those anxious thoughts and, and really difficult things really started to show up. But now, like seven, eight years out, it's like i've start like gotten and continue to get like the mental health support that i need and like working through that and finding ways to like take that experience and be like oh like this has shaped who i am i went from studying math on a track of becoming an actuary to going into like social sciences and now social work and wanting to work with people and and reduce those barriers of how people access services and tending to the whole person and how do we how do we make life like a little bit less like insulting to experience so yeah i'm not sure if i totally answered that question but i mean i loved every word you said i was just like amen because that's just so
0: my focus too so i just really really resonate with everything you're saying the support for your boyfriend what came up for me is You know yeah it's it's an invalidation right that maybe young love isn't isn't seen as as valid or i mean just reminding everyone that again our caregivers it doesn't matter if you're an 18 year old boy or a 65 year old man or woman like that is a really tough thing to go through and caregivers need to be supported it seems to me especially an 18 year old boy 19 year old boy like how are we supposed to know at that age how to deal with all of this It also made me think about, you know, our lives are really different than they were decades ago, right? So it was much more clear cut. Like we would date someone, get married really quick, and then it was obvious who your support was, you know? So now that Mm -hmm. we're getting married later potentially and our relationship constellations look quite different, I think that needs to be considered in our system, you know, of of who's important, who's part of your team – your Personal team and how are they kind of interacted with? I think it's a really important thing to talk about because, you know, you've been dating this person for a long time and it's as if they're your, you know, they're your partner, right? They're not just your boyfriend, like a middle school yeah, thing. Totally. So, you know, in the olden days, that would have just been your husband and it would have been obvious, right? But now we have to kind of renegotiate that. The other thing that I just thought of as a question is. I'm interested – like we were talking before about the invalidation – the validation we were seeking from peers and from our community and the posting on Instagram and saying, am I being – am I representing my experience perfectly? Am I trying to get out what I want to get out? But I think part of that stems from the potential invalidation that we get from healthcare, that maybe we don't get what we need – we get what we need in terms to le- in terms of fighting the cancer, and like thank God for that. But maybe the other parts we don't get, and then we're kind of seeking it from places that are never really meant to give that to us. So I, I think that's why this piece of of expanding healthcare to include more social work and more mental health health supports is really important, so that we're not looking for that in places that we're never we're definitely never going to find it on
1: Instagram fully. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's like that's like the social determinants of health, which is like social connection and supports are like a key pillar in someone's health. And so when you're going through cancer treatment, it's like the urgency of that like medical experience is like that is top priority for very obvious reasons. But then there's like so many other parts that just get Mm -hmm. like completely pushed to the side or just like not prioritized at all that are also just as equally important and and that to me is that part about like how is that experience what is that experience like when like only your physical health is prioritized and then like we said like how isolating that is and and invalidating to every other part of your life and all of the other like psychological experiences you're happening as you go through that
0: yes and I just wanted to double click on the pleasure part of you know how cool would it be if if the people that are supporting us said okay like in the midst of this pain and suffering how can we help support you to find moments of happiness of joy of ease of pleasure and really prioritize that I mean that that's that's the world that we're we're aiming for Thank you so much, Meredith, for taking the time to talk to us today. If listeners have any questions about this podcast or need any support or resources to navigate your experience, I encourage you to connect with the community services lead in your region. For more information, visit bloodcancers.ca. If you liked our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can find us wherever you access your favorite podcasts. We also welcome any ideas for our program, so we would love to hear from you. Send us an email with your suggestions or comments at infobloodcancers.ca. Thank you to CIVC Foundation for generously sponsoring today's episode. Until next time, stay well and stay connected.